about anything, and I think even Stacy needed a hand last week. Uh, it was pretty incredible. Uh, what a blessing. Thank you all so much for being here today and looking forward to uh, this message. Uh, it's exciting to me because I love to talk about success. Uh, I love to talk about the success that we can enjoy as believers. Uh, God is intended for us to be successful, and I believe that there are things uh, all throughout His Word that teach us how to be successful. One of the ways that I think that we need to be successful is we need to find out how to reduce conflict in our life. Uh, consider this for a moment. One of the major causes of unhappiness in American society is strained relationships. Would y'all agree with that? That's probably one of the major causes of unhappiness is conflict. It's strained relationships. Conflict can literally suck the joy right out of your life. And so that being the case, uh, it leads me to not be very successful. I need to find out how to effectively uh, deal with that conflict so that I can be happier and so that I can also be more successful. So how do you handle conflict in your life? Do you pout? Let's be honest with each other. Do you pout when you have to handle conflict? That's what I do. I pout. Do you shout? Amen. Some <laughs> Amen. Uh, Brother Jimmy shouts, amen, when he has to handle conflict. Uh, do you doubt? Amen. Do you just pretend like it ain't there? Uh, you know, there's uh, all manner of ways that we can handle conflict in our life. Some people just run away from it, pretend like it ain't there. Uh, but one way or another, you're going to have to handle that conflict. But unity, unity is the key ingredient to successfully handling conflict in the lives of our teams. Now, I've been talking about cheering on the home team for about three or four weeks now. And I want you to know, friend, that if you want success, for instance, on your business team, then every one of the employees must focus together, say together, they must focus together on reaching the goal. If you want success on your football team, then all the players must execute, say it with me, together. Amen? If you want success on your government team, then Congress and the President must cooperate, say it with me, together. Y'all catching on. You'll catch on before I'm done. Amen? If you want success, for instance, on your family team, well, then the members of the family must work getting better, getting better. Uh, if you want success on your marriage team, well, then husband and wife must work together as partners. Ready? getting a little weaker now one last time if you want success on your church team then members of the body of Christ must do their part say it loud together. much better it's all about unity cooperating together working together partnering together doing what we're called to do say it with me together that's exactly right Friend, very little is accomplished by yourself. In fact, success is never a one-man show. It always requires the effort of people working 
together. That's exactly right. But when you have unity, you have the access to tremendous power. When you have unity, you have access to tremendous potential. So how do I then reduce conflict so that I can have unity so I can be successful? I believe that today the Bible shows us how we can have unity on our teams. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul begins by saying this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Just as we get started there in Philippians chapter 2, Paul gives us four expressions of togetherness. He says, be like-minded. He says, have the same love. Be in one spirit. Be in one accord or of one purpose. Be focused. So, friend, whether it's your home team, whether it's your marital team, whether it's the family team, whether it's your church team, if you want to enjoy unity, if you want to enjoy strength on your team, if you want to enjoy success within the team, you got to utilize a few simple keys. And I'm going to give you some of those today. Your first key is this. Enjoy unity by diffusing competition. Now you may say that the whole purpose of a team is to compete, but here's the problem. Often, instead of complimenting fellow members of the team, we compete with members within our own team. Think about that. We fight and we argue with, within our team because we have conflicting desires. But the Bible says there, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Let's read it together in verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. There's another translation that reads it this way. It says, there must be no competition among you or within your team. Now, growing up, I had four brothers. I had one older brother and three younger brothers. And it seemed like we were constantly competing for something. I mean, we were either competing for mom or dad's attention. We were competing for uh, bicycles. Later on, we competed for cars. We competed for our own rooms. We competed on baseball teams. We competed on, uh, for girls. Amen? <laughs> hey, five boys going after the same girl. Poor girl. Amen? We competed for girls. Uh, we even competed for food. I mean, every, all the boys would eat as fast as they could because the one who got fin done finished first got seconds, amen? So we were constantly competing. Friend, aren't you glad that when we grow older, when we get more mature, when we get more sophisticated, we stop competing amongst siblings? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Some adults still try to compete with each other. It's amazing to me. 
You're on the same home team. You're on the same family team. You're even in the same marriage, but we still compete. Why? Why do we do that? Well, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus tells us why in James chapter 4. He says this, what causes fights and arguments? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. Therefore, you fight and argue within your team. You know, our society uh, has come to be known for a society that teaches that instant gratification for me is the number one priority. Instant gratification for me. And listen here. When my needs conflict with your needs, then we got trouble. Did y'all get that? So, we've got to know what the causes of conflict are. And I believe that this verse 3 here in Philippians chapter 2 teaches us that the first cause of conflict on our teams is competing desires. We're competing within our teams. And if you want unity, if you want success on your team, whether it be a home team, marital team, church team, whatever, then you have got to learn to diffuse competition within the team. Amen? Here's a second key for you. To enjoy unity and encourage success. Enjoy unity by deleting conceit. There in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. To be more successful, friend, team members have got to let go of their ego. Amen? Don't be selfish. Don't be trying to impress other people all the time. Look at what verse 3 says. Let nothing, say nothing. Let nothing be done out of vain conceit. You see, a person who has an ego problem is an eye specialist. Y'all get that? He's an eye specialist. His eyes are so close together, all he can see is himself. Amen? And if all I'm looking at is myself, then how in the world am I going to see my other team members? My eyes almost got stuck that way, amen? Mama warned me about that. Is that not the truth? If I'm so focused on me, how can I be focused on you? If I'm so focused on my own needs, how can I be focused on the needs of the team? These people sometimes have problems with pride. Pride is a major culprit that brings down teams. Amen? Uh, this pride issue, the Bible warns about it throughout the scriptures. The Bible teaches that pride goes before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. Proverbs 13.10 tells us by pride comes nothing but strife. In other words, by pride comes nothing but arguing. But nothing but disunity. It comes nothing but fighting and quarreling. So, the first cause of conflict is competing desires within the team. The second cause of conflict on our teams is personal pride. If I've got an ego problem, I'm going to bring down the team. If I refuse to admit that I'm wrong every now and then, then I'm a detriment to my team. You know? 
If you could eliminate this ego pride issue, I am convinced that you would solve most of the conflict in marriage. I believe if you could solve this pride ego issue, you could solve most of the problems in families. If you could solve this pride issue, I believe you could solve most of the problems that occur in churches. I believe if you could remove this, this pride issue, you could solve most of the issues that occur in our government. It seems like that is what is at the, the base. That's what the crux of our problems are, is pride. So what do I do about it? Diffuse competition within the team. Delete conceit, personally, amen. But there's a third key for you today for success, and that is we can enjoy unity by decreasing criticism. Look there at the end of verse 3. It says, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better. Say better. Let each esteem others better than himself. Now, when Paul says better, he doesn't mean superior. When he says better, he means worthy of respect. Treat others like they're worthy of your respect. He says, we don't put people down. Instead, treat them better than yourself. Treat them worthy of respect. Friend, that is a radical, radical concept. To treat others better than myself? Really? I mean, do, do I consider others worthy of more respect than I do of myself? Really? But in, in America, that is the exact opposite that we find. In fact, if you go to the citizens of other nations and you ask them, how do Americans come across to you? Nine out of ten other nations will tell you that Americans seem arrogant. That Americans seem full of themselves. They think they're better than anybody else. I think that we've actually begun thinking that being self-centered is a character quality. But it's not. I believe the Bible tells us that by decreasing criticism, uh, when we do that, we are we, criticizing another person. You know what you're really saying? You're saying, I'm better than you. When I criticize you, I'm saying, I'm better than you. We are full of people who think they're better than everybody else. But Paul says, don't be critical. Don't be critical thinking you're better than other people. In fact, you shouldn't focus on you at all, believer. Because he's writing to Christians here. You shouldn't be focusing on you at all. It's not that we think less of ourselves. It's just that we don't think of ourselves at all. We're busy thinking of other people. Our focus should be on other people. We should be other-centered, not self-centered. And you know what? When I'm critical of another person, and I'm doing it with a judgmental attitude, any of y'all ever done that before? Been critical with a judgmental attitude? Anybody else besides Joan done it? She's the only sinner. That's two of us. There's three of us. Amen. Everybody else is righteous. Praise the Lord for y'all. Amen. Uh, but we are all capable of doing that, uh, criticizing with a judgmental attitude. 
But you know what we're doing when we do that? We're basically saying, you know what, y'all? My ways are better than your ways. And my thoughts, they're higher than your thoughts. And if you know what Isaiah 55 says, that's playing God. Because in Isaiah 55, God said, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts beyond your thoughts. And when you start criticizing somebody with a judgmental attitude, belittling them to make yourself look better, that's what you're doing. You're playing God. But the problem is this. It's kind of fun to criticize, isn't it? Hmm? It is. It's kind of fun to criticize people. We love to criticize. We love to pick out their faults. Why do we like to do that? Why is it fun? Because it makes me feel superior. Even when we joke, it makes me feel superior. We think that we build ourselves up when we put other people down. But what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says, do the exact opposite. The Bible says, do the exact opposite. Don't be building yourself up while you're putting somebody else down. Instead, if you want to enjoy more unity on your teams, if you want to enjoy more success for your teams, then stop being so critical of other people. You know, why don't you take a look at that plank that's in your own eye first. Amen? So, the third cause of conflict, we find, is failing to see the value in other people. And that happens when I treat them with less respect than they deserve. And when I treat them with less respect than they deserve, then I'm failing to see their value. And everybody's got value. Amen? Amen? Everybody's got value. So, what do you do about it, Brother Bill? Well, you diffuse competition within your team. You delete conceit individually, but also... Man, stop being so critical. Decrease criticism. But here's the fourth key for you. You want to be successful on your team? Then why not enjoy unity by demonstrating consideration? Look in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says to these believers, these church folks, he says, let each of you look. Say look. Say it louder. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, in other words, don't just be interested in your own stuff. In other words, don't just be interested in your own issues, in your own life struggles. Don't just be interested in your own problems. Everybody give a finger like this. Show me your finger. I want you to take that finger, and I want you to take that finger down to your Bible, and I want you to put it on the word look. That word look is a cool word, amen? It's a hunter's word. That word look in the Bible, in the original language of the Greek language, is the word skopos. And that's where we get the word scope, amen? If you've ever hunted before, you've probably looked through a scope. And what Paul is trying to tell us here is that you need to scope in on the needs of others. Amen? When you got one eye closed and you're scoped in on the needs of others, 
then you're certainly not looking inside, you're looking outside. So what's the problem? Well, we just don't do it. We just don't do it. Uh, that's why we're having so much problems in our marriages. We're not scoping in on the, on the issues that are of our spouses. Paul says, scope in on them. Husbands, scope in on the problems that your wife is having. Likewise for the wives. Amen? We just don't do it. That's why we're having so many problems with our kids. We're not scoped in on the problems and issues of our kids. That's why we're having problems with our coworkers. Man, it's all about me. Why don't we scope in on the issues with our coworkers? Same thing with the brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes. Why not be scoped in on the issues within our church? Amen? Everybody needs some focus. We just don't pay attention to the needs of other people like we should. So, how then? If I agree with you, Brother Bill, how do I become more considerate? Well, you certainly need to scope in. Amen? You need to look. But there's something else you need to do. You need to listen. Amen? You need to look. I always tell the kids this. You need to look, and you need to listen. Amen? That's how you find out what the issues are going on uh, on your teams. I mean, think about this. If I asked you men who are married, what are the three greatest interests of your wife? You could probably come up with three interests of your wife. It might be hard for some of you, right, Lloyd? It might be hard for some of you, but others, it's going to be easy. Amen? We could come up with three. Likewise, wives. You could come up with at least three interests that your husband has. What about your children? You could come up with three. Why is it so easy for us to be able to come up with the interests of our spouses or our children? Because we know them. Amen? We know our spouses. We know our children. Uh, not only that, but we pay attention to those interests. Uh, I, I've told this to our Wednesday morning Bible study several times. When Madison learns a new cheer routine, she loves to come and stand right in front of me between me and the TV. <laughs> Amen? I'm sitting, in, I'm sitting in my recliner, and she's going to do that new cheer routine right there. Amen? Why does she do that? So all my attention is on her. Amen? So we got to look. And we got to listen. We got to focus on what interests them, and we got to pay attention to what their interests are. Same thing. If you want to scope in on the needs of other people, you just need to look and listen. It won't take you long, I promise you. And especially within the marital team. Listen to this verse in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Here's why. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. What does that mean? That means the way you treat your spouse affects your prayer life. If you're treating your, your wife like garbage, then I wonder how your prayer life is going to be hindered. Likewise, wives, if you're treating your husband like garbage, then do you think that your prayers are going to be listened to? Uh, it seems that they're at least hindered, amen? Be considerate of each other so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, nothing that I'm saying is new. Y'all know this. But the problem is, we just don't do it. So let us scope in on the needs of our team members, whether it be in the family, in the marriage, in the church, or even at work. 
Why? Because the fourth cause of conflict is being insensitive to other people's needs. That causes conflict. So when I'm looking at only my needs, when I'm looking at only at my feelings, how tired I feel, how pressured I am, what I want to do with my day off, and I'm not considering anybody else's feelings, I'm being inconsiderate. And I'm being insensitive to the needs of other people. So what do I do about it? Diffuse that competition within the team. Delete personal conceit. Decrease criticism. And demonstrate a little consideration. It doesn't take much. But this last key is a doozy. Everybody knows what a doozy is, don't you? Uh, a doozy is the big one. This is the climax of the message. If you don't get any of the other ones, get this one. Amen? Because if you want to enjoy success, if you want to enjoy unity on your team, then develop Christ-likeness. Let's read verse 5. Paul writes to these believers, and he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this attitude be in you, that was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus is always our model. He is always the great example. And if you want to know how to get along with people on your team, even those people who are hard to get along with, y'all know who I'm talking about, right? <laughs> y'all know the one? Think of the one that's hard to get along with on your team. Amen? If you want to know how to get along with them, Kyle, then... Develop Christ-likeness. Amen? I saw that smug look on your face, boy. Amen? He said, get the same attitude that Jesus had. Have the same mindset that Jesus had. If you want to learn to get along with people on your team. What is that attitude? What is that mindset? Well, uh, verse 6, 7, and 8 tells us what that mindset is. Look at verse 6. Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery, being equal with God. You see, friend, Jesus didn't demand his own rights. And he encourages us to do the same. The person who yields his rights to God, guess what? Has God as the defender of his rights. Amen? I mean, think about this, friend. Who can do a better job of defending you? You or God? Absolutely. God does a better job. So Jesus didn't defend his rights. He willingly gave them up, knowing God would take care of him. Amen? Look in verse 7. But Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. See, Jesus had a serving attitude. I want you to think for a second about your role in the various teams you're a part of. All of you are a part of a family team. Many of you are a part of a marital team. Uh, everybody here today is a part of this church team. Uh, many of you are still working, and you're a part of a working team. So let me ask you this question. 
How do you know if you have this serving attitude that Jesus had? How do you know? Help me out. Anybody? How do you know if you got a serving attitude like Jesus? Anybody got a, something they want to offer? Joan, you always do. Help a brother out. How do you know if you got a serving attitude? Think about the other person. You don't worry about yourself. Participating with the team. How do you know if you got a serving attitude? Come on, keep them coming. What are you doing if you have a serving attitude? You're serving, right? That's one of those duh moments, right? But here's a big one. Y'all ready for this? Say amen if you're ready. If you've got a serving attitude, how well do you respond to people who treat you like a servant? Can I be honest with you for a second? I don't think I like being treated like a servant. If I've said it once, I've said it a million times. I don't like people that use people. Are you offended when tre people treat you like a servant? Or are you honored when people treat you like a servant? Glad to do it! Because I've got a servant's mindset. I've got the attitude of Christ that had a serving attitude. So how well do you respond when people treat you like a servant? That to, ought to adjust our mindset. But there's a third one. In verse 8, Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death, on the cross. See, Jesus not only didn't demand his rights, not only did he have a serving attitude, but Jesus was also willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. Would you agree with me that it's pretty much human nature to be selfish? Is that pretty much human nature for us to be selfish? Everybody agree with that? No? You can be honest. Is it human nature for us to be selfish? Well, if you have any qualms about answering that question, just ask a child. Nine times out of ten, if you ask a child, um, do you want this piece of candy or do you want me to have it? What are they going to say? I'll take it. Thank you very much. Amen? So, um, we all have this nature within us to do what we want to do. Right? Therefore, how am I going to live unselfishly when it's in my nature to live selfishly? How do I do that? How am I going to live unselfishly with my wife or my other team members when I don't even have it within my nature to do so? I mean, in all reality, it's all about me. The Word answers that question. 
Let this attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let this mindset be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Another verse says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's how much. That's how you do it. Jesus has got to be inside us. Why? Because the fifth cause of conflict is living without Jesus. And guess what? There's just as many believers doing it as unbelievers. They're living without Jesus. So in order for you to get along with your teammates, you've got to grow to be more and more like Jesus. You've got to have him in you, not only imitating him, but also having him habitate in you. You don't have the ability. It's in your nature to be selfish. So you're going to have to have Jesus within you to help you to be all that he wants you to be. Think of this. Every single day, when I consciously choose to put somebody else's rights above my own, I'm becoming more like Jesus. Every day when I consciously choose to serve somebody else, I'm becoming more like Jesus. Every day when I consciously choose to build somebody else up instead of tearing them down, I'm becoming more like Jesus. Every day when I consciously choose to sacrifice for the benefit of somebody else, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. And friend, if there was one secret to lasting unity and lasting success on your team, it would be this. You must conclude that you have a purpose in your life that's bigger than you. And that purpose is reflecting Jesus. But there's a problem with that. We like to be self-made men, self-made women. And you know what? The self-made man usually worships his maker. Amen? And that's an awfully small God. Would you agree? And as long as you're continually asking, hey, what's going to make me happy? Then you're never going to be happy. But if you want success on your team, your marriage team, your family team, your work team, your church team, if you want to be happy, why don't you try diffusing competition? Is there competition in your marriage? Are you competing over free time? Are you competing over money? Are you competing over TV remote controls? Are you competing over goals? Do you have competition or are you on the same page? See, the root of most marital problems is one thing. Plain old selfishness. Me first. It's all about me. Try diffusing that competition. But number two, delete conceit. 
Delete conceit. Do you always want it your way? Are you afraid to admit that you're wrong every now and then? Are you one of those that says, I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken? <laughs> Delete that conceit. What about uh, decreasing criticism? I read this. Do you give more strokes or more pokes? Are you trying to encourage people or discourage people? Are you busy building people up or tearing them down? Decrease criticism. Demonstrate some consideration. Are you considerate with those who are closest to you? If you're not, that's a great way to destroy your team. I mean, do you tend to take the members of your team for granted? Do you tend to assume, ah, they'll always be there? I don't have to be considerate. I got some really good news for you today because this is supposed to be an encouraging message for you. And the good news is this. It's very possible for you to enjoy unity and success in all of your relationships. It's very possible for you to live in harmony with those you've chose to live with. It's very possible for you to enjoy and love and have a meaningful relationship with that person you married. It's very possible for you to enjoy all the people on your team. How do you do it? Solution is just letting Jesus Christ live through you. Having his attitude. Having his mindset. Doing what he would do. Saying what he would say. See, when, when Jesus Christ is in me, and Jesus Christ is in you, then Christ is not going to fight with Christ. And we're going to enjoy unity, strength, and success. But you know what? This is a truth if I ever heard it. Whether, wherever there is discord, wherever there is disunity, wherever there's fighting and quarreling all the time, get this, somebody ain't acting like Jesus. So if your team is struggling with disunity, if you're struggling and quarreling uh, over who's right and who's wrong, just remember, whenever there's a fight, somebody ain't acting like Jesus. So what do I do? Well, the first step is to start striving to develop Christ-likeness. I mean, friend, uh, what, what is that, developing Christ-likeness? To start with, the first thing I've got to do is I've got to humble myself before him. I've got to acknowledge that without Jesus, I can do nothing. You can't do any of this we've talked about today without Jesus. Because without him, you can do nothing. You can't save yourself from sin. You can't ever be righteous enough to enter heaven on your own. You certainly don't have the power to, to beat death. You don't have the ability over the grave. Guess what? You need Jesus. 
We all do. And God's word tells us that if we will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's where it all starts. If a lot of this is making good sense to you, it's because the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you through his word. But remember, you can't do any of it on your own. You need Jesus. So to start becoming like the master, you first got to be saved by the master. Listen to these last three verses, and I'll close. In verse 9, Paul writes to these believers, and he says, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is where it starts. Confessing, professing, and allowing Jesus to do a miraculous work in your life. If you'd like to take that first step of faith, there's a decision time that's getting ready to occur here that will enable you to do that. And if you'd like, you can take that step of faith, come up here, and I'll just show you what this book says about how you can be saved and have that everlasting relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're already a believer. Remember, Paul was writing to believers when he wrote this. Maybe you need to get to work diffusing competition, deleting conceit, demonstrating a little consideration, developing some Christ-likeness. I'd love to pray with you about any issues you're struggling with. But it's your, your decision. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that your word makes it clear to us how we can have success. Father, I would venture to say there's not a person in this room who doesn't want a successful marriage. Who doesn't want a successful family. There's not one here that doesn't want to succeed at work. And Lord, I know that there's not one in this building that, that wouldn't want to have a successful church family. Father, thank you that you speak to the practical matters of our lives. Lord, help us to develop this unity by using these methods you've provided for us today. But Lord, if there's a person here that needs to take that initial step of developing Christ-likeness, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them to do so. Lord, I'm so thankful that we can be a part of Team Jesus. I'm also thankful that we can be a part of Team Bethel. So Lord, whatever guidance, however you're leading any of our brothers and sisters today, Father, let them to know that they can be a part of the team and that you'll help them along their way. And it'll be for all your glory. And so we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.